I don't want people just click on whatever is out there because it looks flashy. I want people to act. If they watch four minutes, then yes, then they can go to the next step. And it was until they actually said that was intentional that I really didn't get it. This is The E-Commerce Leader, a show for you, the owner of a thriving online business. In this shorter episode, we bring you our hot takes on some topical, central e-commerce subjects, fresh from our expert panel, Chris Green, Jason Miles, Kyle Hamer, and myself, Michael Vesey. Let's jump in. Well, ladies and gents, we're back with The E-Commerce Leader call-in, which we're no longer on call-in, but we're still The E-Commerce Leader with our usual panel, Jason Miles. Chris Green, Carl Hamer on the two sides of the American continent. And I'm over here in London, England, where it's the usual sort of joyful weather, cold, but not actually raining. So we're going to just plunge in randomly on various topics here. I believe the first one up is streaking for fun and profit. I'm, I'm joking, hopefully. So Jason, why don't you kick off? Yeah, but I was just going to comment right. on the ridiculous nature of this podcast. We not are only not on the call in app anymore. We don't have people call into the show. That was never part of it. So we <laughs> we're calling consider- in. Rebranding. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. We called in to talk to each other. Talk to each other. Yeah. Hey, yeah. it's called pivoting, isn't it? We're we're, we're like of examples of visit pivot business pivots, and here we are pivoting. Right. So, Jason, you're you're about to launch a book. Tell us more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My book project is in the works. It's going to be out on February first. So I'm doing all the prep stuff to get out and ready. I'm excited about the pre-launch process. Every book I do, I have sort of a bigger and better whack at it. I hope, I don't know if that's always true, but at least I love the preparatory stuff to get ready to go. And so this book is no exception. And I think it's good content. I've had pre-readers give me a lot of feedback and the street team is ready to begin working. And the book has a, a ton of call to actions, like 30 call to actions at the back, how you can support the, the program. It's all about our charity. And uh, so, yeah, that's my project for the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited about it. I'm having a pre-launch party next Monday at noon, you know, live broadcast. And I hope that'll be a fun part of it. Nice. I mean, yeah. So what motivates you to, to write yet another book? You've written a lot. I'm always intrigued. I, I mean, you're always very successful also. What is it that if drives you're a writer, If you're a writer, you write, man. That's how it works. You, if you're a writer, you, you just what you do. So I'm always working on a new book and uh, part of the process. So anyway, so that, that's, that's kind of what I've been grinded on and, and hoping to do well. No, probably exciting to anyone other than me. <laughs> I, I find it super exciting. I'm, I'm a would-be author of many years. Like I've been sort of saying every year, I'm going to write a book this year. So now I admire it. I, I'm a big, big fan. All you have and to do Jason, is publish you put your date. call to action at the front of the book. Good question. It's always yeah. so fun to be critiqued, but I don't, I, <laughs> the call to action at the front of the book, the, the call to action at the front of the book is keep reading the book. So the, the hook at the front is to read. So that's why I figure if people are into it by the end, they'll help me promote it and participate. If they don't get that far, then they're not going to really do anything anyway. So I guess my, the slippery slope to use Joe Sugarman's copywriting term. Is what's at the front of the book. Just keep reading, you know. Just yeah, I guess it raises an interesting question about what the purpose of a book is, isn't it? If it's a positioning tool, I guess it makes me think of that Seth Godin quote from one of his excellent podcasts, which is if you're branding, then, you know, you're not in direct response world. You cannot just measure 
the results of your actions in a simple way. But I guess if you're connect, connecting with people, creating a, a feeling about you, letting people know, get to know you, then that's the purpose of quite a lot of marketing. And I guess that a book is yeah. that more, right? If I do it well, it'll do a lot of things for us. It mostly, you know, kind of extend the story and find the right people to engage with. So they have to be real believers and read the whole thing, in my view, to really go to go to the next steps, I guess is kind of why. Why would I have the call to action at the back? Yeah. That's a good answer. I think it's something that it's a very frequent question that I get when I talk to people and they say, oh, you write books and like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. I tell people, yes, you can also write a book. And a lot of times people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to write a book. And then I kind of tell them to slow down kind of like, why do you want to write a book? Because like you guys know, there are so many reasons why you might want to write a book. And Jason, I like this idea that you have. I really hadn't thought of that. Cause I'm thinking for you know, marketing and intake and funnels and customers and all these things instead of, yeah. like, no, if you don't actually read the entire book, then this call to action may not actually be for you. And it's like, there's a, a famous marketer who put out a very long form video ad and didn't actually have a call to action for a long time, but it became very popular. Like, I could reference the ad right now and everybody could know what, mm -hmm. what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. But what people didn't notice is there was no call to action. There was no form. There's no give me your email until like, mm -hmm. forget exactly how long into the ad. So you actually had to watch a significant amount of this, which most people did not. Uh, but he right. was doing that and he revealed it intentionally later that I don't want people just click on whatever is out there because it looks flashy. I want people to act, if they watch four minutes, then yes, then they can go to the next step. And it was until they actually said that was intentional that I really didn't get it. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you actually tr triggered a few thoughts there. You know, one of the things that I, had in my mind as I was writing this book is like, it's a long form sales letter. It is a story I take people on and it's, it's for our charity. So it's the intent is to bring them along for the ride and to really, you know, have that be clear at the end of the book, the merits of our program, why they should participate. And I've never done anything like this, but in this book, I have literally 30 things they could do to help promote the book, to act up us the story. And usually at the end of a book, you'll be like, Hey, if you like this book, we'd love your highest best review on Amazon. Well, that's one call to action. But this one, I have 30 and we'll see if it works. I have no idea. We'll see if the AMS ads work in support of this book. I have no idea. Some of my books, I really have AMS zipping on and it is, you know, profitable and other books, I can't make AMS ads work, but that's the other part of this that I'm intrigued by. We'll see how it goes. Nice. I like it a lot. Right, that's I, I me. Think, that's me. Yeah. Just thinking about what you're saying, I think it's important for marketers to reflect on, and me included, having a story as opposed to just being very direct response driven, I think makes a big difference in terms of emotional connection. Mm -hmm. um, I think you sense if somebody's just trying to tell you a story in order to sell you next or whether they actually care about the story and want you to care about it. I think that's yeah. actually a smarter play. It's just more engaging, isn't it? And we all engage with stories. And there are so many people that will sell physical projects based on nothing to do with the product and everything to do with the celebrity. But the celebrity got famous from their story, their personal story, if it's somebody like, I don't know, Megan and, and whoever else we've exported to the United Harry? States recently. I don't know, Harry, yeah. This is one of our worst exports. What's his name? Thank you you don't know what the yeah. guy's name I couldn't remember the guy's name. He's not a member of the Royal Family. He doesn't count anymore. We, we've just missed him. <laughs> He's but the, the point is, their personal story is what they're selling, right? Worth millions. Right. If they start selling with some random anything from a tea case to a microphone, people will buy it based on their story. Yeah. But their story had to be genuine, heartfelt, and all the things that, you know, if you like that kind of yeah. thing. And I think that that's sort of 
it's just a reminder of the power of story, right? I mean, it's, it's just more powerful than trying to sell stuff all day. There you go. I say this well, as somebody who's never published a story in his life. So they, what do I know? Wish me luck. And you too can right. do it. And I'll tell you the one pro tip to get your book done. Just publish the, pre-publish it on KDP. Have the publication date. You can have it a year in advance. Doesn't matter. Put it out six months. Put it out four months. Whatever you think is your realistic writing time. Once it's out there and you have a mental commitment to it being published, you will do the work. I guarantee yeah. it. It's absolutely in law of like competent people. If you have a deadline, you will meet the deadline. But if you don't have a deadline, you won't meet the deadline because you won't have one. So just publish it, man. Do it today. Yeah. Just put it out there. Yeah. I, I hate you. Send me the link. I'll pre-order a copy. <laughs> really doubly committed. Yeah, yeah double, double commitment. <laughs> the only fear I have, I guess, is with, with that is that it will end up being like Chris's wonderful book, which I got all about, you know, courses a book, if I've got that the right way around. But of course, I remember the email series that came <laughs> month after month, like, it's getting, it's coming, it's coming. No criticism, because I think I'd be the same. Like I'd start off with something small, it would mushroom to something big and really good. But nine months late, this is my fear of why I don't want to set a deadline on it. <laughs> Chris, what are you got it out nine months late? At least you got it out, right? So that's true. Yeah, isn't actually a fear. And Amazon, they do have a little bit of. I I read the details where you can extend it if you need Uh, to. Yeah, there is, but it would be technically hard. But if you have somebody pre-order and you find it, hey, June first, my book's coming out. You don't have to pre-market it. Don't pre-market it until three or four weeks beforehand. Right. Don't Uh, overthink it. It doesn't have to be as big as as my silly books. My books are way too long. Was quite a thing when it arrived. It sort of thudded on the doorstep. It was quite a tome. Yeah, it was an entire library. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. It's, it's an impressive book. I'm still working my way through it. But yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, Put it, yeah. You're right. I, this is a perfect. This is a perfect transition into streaking, right? Because streaking applies to all kinds of things. This is not limited to you know college yep. dorms and anything like that. What I'm talking yep. about streaking is just doing something consistently. But you have a streak of doing okay. something. And I had a streak and I broke my streak and I have not got back on my streak. And it kind of just, to me, it just reinforces like the, I don't know what the, the anecdotes, what exactly the word is like streaks are powerful. They, they seem silly. They seem like, oh, well, who cares? You can take a day off. Like, you know, streaks are incredibly mentally powerful. There's a, like a running group where you're supposed to like run every day or like walk a mile every day. And people get into the thousands of days and put their health at risk where Eventually, people are telling members, hey, look, you're 89 years old. Like, it's okay for you to break your 3,500-day streak of walking a mile because you literally fell down the stairs yesterday. Like, but that, that, that drive to keep a streak going, especially a really long streak, that can be incredibly mentally powerful. And it goes into understanding your own psychology and just human psychology in general. Like, you understand how you work and you can play games that may not make perfect sense. They might even be perfectly rational. But if they help you get to where you want to go, then you can understand it about yourself and say, yes, I need to keep this streak going, even though I know it's silly. I know I can just not do this thing for five minutes today and it's not going to be the end of the world. But yeah, it actually is incredibly important to do that five minute thing. Are you willing to share what your streak was that you broke or is that confidential? Oh, it's not confidential at all. I mean, a a few people noticed that I broke the streak. So it's, it's certainly not a secret, but I was doing a flip of the day video where I'd find something that I would. You could oh. flip on eBay or Amazon or locally that you can pick up at estate sales or yard sales or their stores you know, inexpensively and flip it. I did a flip of the day. I did every day, every weekday for yeah. almost three months. And then my 
my process was I would record five of them on Monday. I would record the raw video and then I would post one each day. And my camera stopped working on one and it froze the whole video. I had the audio, but I didn't have the, the thing, which is like Dang. a minor thing. I, I could re-record yeah. it. I could record yeah. it from somewhere else, but it threw me off. So I got to Friday. It was a Friday before kids got off for Christmas break and, and all this stuff. Yeah. So I was like, you know, it's, it's just one day, right? It's just one day in my street. No, it's good. It's around Christmas time. It's no big deal. But it I wasn't one day to you. It was I haven't the posted. end of the streak. Yeah. I haven't posted since. And here we are. Yeah. Uh, this was before Christmas. Now we're here on January 17th. So I think it's like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly don't have plans to make one today. I've got a ton of stuff. I got to spend the equipment. You know, and I'll make excuses because normally I do them, you know, at my kind of shared office area. So I have the kind of same lighting and same look in the back. But when the kids are in school, I don't go there. So I don't have that content. And it's just excuses. I can certainly drive there <laughs> if I wanted to, right? Really powerful. But it's reinforcing. Yeah. It's showing me the power of the streak. And so I, I got to get back on it, but I share this and I'll share it like in a blog post or something so that other people can kind of see that. Wait a minute. When people like Jerry Seinfeld has the most famous talk about the street. If you're a writer, especially a comedy writer, write something every single day, put a big red X on your calendar and keep it going, even if it's small. And I, I read, I heard that 10 years ago and I was like, yeah, whatever. How, how important is that? And until it actually affects you personally, a lot of times you don't take things seriously. So I'm sharing it. So if it'll help just one person out there, and especially as it comes to you, Michael, and you're writing, you just <laughs> commit to one page a day for 12 <laughs> days. You have 12 pages. You can publish yeah. more. So yeah, I hate you. I, something, something, something. What's your book every single day? And if you want us to like ask you and badger you about it, we can, but get a street going and it's definitely going to help you get your first book published. Sounds good. I, I just, uh, while you're talking about streaks, I mean, it, it's true for you, but I think it's very universally true. There's great power in engineering a system based on streaks. And I said, my wife has this app called Duolingo where she's learning Italian. It's really working by the way. Cause like every time we go to Italy, she speaks more and more fluently. She's good at languages, but it's, it's still a proof of concept, but she's had like a thousand day streak. She's there in the bedroom at five minutes to midnight, speaking the Italian into her phone. Like nothing's getting in the way this is a sacred thing because she's got a thousand days. Like she is not losing that streak. So after a while, the fact that you've got this unbroken streak and you might lose, it becomes a really kind of weird but very powerful motivator. So those guys are totally onto something and then people share it in social media. And of course she's, she's got more streaks, you know, a longer streak than any, all of her friends. Yeah, and so right. one person's on 1200. Yeah. But gamifying it's, but it's, as you say, Chris, it's kind of well, seems stupid, but it's somehow really powerful. Weird. It's built in. Duolingo knows exactly what they're doing. I didn't yeah. know. I'm just sharing that it finally personally affected me. That's all. Well, I think it's, it's sort of what's the fastest way that you can turn something into a habit. Because as soon as it becomes habitual for you, it's like brushing your teeth. It's like, when was the last time you skipped brushing your teeth? Because it's like this built-in habit that you do and you know it's, you're going to go to bed. And I think the, you, if you can engineer those habits, because sometimes I think we engineer poor habits through mm -hmm. just not reflecting or being self-aware. And so then it's an opportunity to engineer good habits. And I think building these streaks allows you to sort of build, it's like working out, you know, it's like you build muscle, muscle mass, right? And uh, you build sort of the muscle memory, which isn't a real thing, but like you are building that up over time. And it just by doing it to where then you end up executing on it. And it's like, oh, I didn't even think about it. I just went and did it. And I think it's really powerful. I think yeah. the question is, are you building a habit or a ritual that is sustainable? When I've yeah. gone on a streak for a long term, it's because there's some underlying thing that I really would say, okay, this works for me at a deep psychological level. Or I don't know what it is, the difference between a 
sustainable habit or ritual and a non-sustainable. There's something profound there about asking the question, you know, what, what type of habit or ritual is something you're going to stick with? And we're all different, you know? I think it's got to relate to something you really care about. I remember another example, famous jazz trumpet player, his name, forget, Winter Marsalis, there you go. He said he practiced every single day for, I like an unbroken streak of like five years or something, just, just to have that commitment. It was obviously because it was something that's incredibly important to him as an identity and, mm-hmm. a, you know, a future career and many, many things were wrapped up in it. So I guess it, sometimes streaks get broken for a reason. And sometimes, as you say, Chris, then, you know, sometimes that's a big loss. So I'm, I'm totally with you on this, this streak thing. Yeah. Streaking the hardest is if profit. you don't, hardest if you don't get positive back, you know, like yeah. it, to me, feedback yeah. is a big part of it. If somebody emotionally rewards me for my streak, yes. like, oh, I'll keep going. I'm now I'm going to double or triple what I was doing. But if we get a negative feedback or somebody's like, you know, that doesn't seem smart or what are you doing? Then it downs my vibe so fast. Sometimes it can crater me. So it, tuning out the external voices is probably important too. Yeah. You got to get cheerleading. Well, I've got a slightly random one. There's no neat segue into this, but I was just working with a client this morning and I don't know how to put it in a nutshell, but I'll try. I mean, basically a lot of the time people have terrible things going on in their businesses and they don't know because they're not looking at the numbers. So we did a really, um, probably for him quite depressing, but revealing dive into the numbers before Christmas. And it turned out that fully 50% of his products weren't just not making him money. They were actually losing him money. This is arbitrage business, which wasn't my main thing, but he came to me saying, let's do a private level business. I said, okay, how are you planning to fund this? And part of it was the cash flow from his arbitrage business. I said, okay, how is the cash flow? And it wasn't that great. Uh, but what we had today is the flip side of that. He's cut fully 75% of his product lines. What he's got left is not only selling well, but he was saying, okay, what's the next stage for the private label thing? And I said, okay, well, tell me about what you've got that's working well. And it turns out without revealing too many details that there's a sort of gifting item that did really, really well, which was basically a, a sophisticated form of bundle. I said, well, that's great. Let's just not run a million miles from what's working. Let's, let's just expand what's working a little bit and think about what, do you really want a private label business? I'm like, trust me, you know, that the lead time, the amount of capital, the risk is not fun. What you're really looking for is something defensible and sellable. Well, okay. Can we make it more defensible? And I reference you, Kyle, uh, you know, the fact that you've got patented packaging. So I said, look, there's loads you can do just with the packaging, which is cheap, low risk. Even if you import it from China, it's, it's a few boxes. And so it just struck me once again, just how often the solution to what to do next is already in your business. If you're willing to look into the business rather than getting distracted by, I should do it this way because everyone's told me in some video that you should. So that was a really striking experience for me today that I wanted to share. No, I mean, it's good. I think you all, it, it's, it's interesting. It kind of leads into some other thoughts I'll run into about a conversation I had as well. It's like, how do you make small pivots? Right. And where do you know, where, where are there like real threats to your business? And obviously one of them being not looking at the SKU level or, you know, it's, it's important to look at your business as a whole, but if you're running a lot of SKUs, particularly in a arbitrage business, you have to be pretty brutal about you know, cutting, cutting ones that are even marginally because marginal, even if you think, oh, it's making me a little bit of profit, but what it ends up doing is it actually drags down your entire business because that you get hooked on that little bit of profit when in reality, you're leaving potential of much stronger products on the sideline because you're enamored or you're kind of stuck with these products that are marginally good enough, but they hold you back, right? Like they hold back your cash flow, they hold back what you're working on. So it's important. It's important stuff for all of us uh, to go through that process. In fact, I've been going through that process 
um, over the last three weeks in, in our brands as well with products and like, Hey, this product, what about this? Let's, let's cut it. Like it's, it's a great product, but it's not good enough. You know, it's like, you have to raise your standard of what is good enough in order to sort of see the growth that you're looking for. So uh, it's, it's a great exercise to go through and everyone needs to sort of run with it. I think. Yeah, agreed. Like an easy symptom for Amazon businesses to, ex- to expand, expand, expand the product line into non-profitable yeah. mm. ventures. Like that seems like the easiest domino to tip over is another product. Does yeah. it make any money or is it connected anyway? No, but so good. Well, it, it's often, yeah. I think, because as you get into selling on Amazon, you kind of get into the product development. That's early. That's what you do, right? And some people like really enjoy that process and they get hooked on developing new products. And not really maximizing it or, or or realizing, hey, this product is great in my mind, but it doesn't have a good product market fit. And I shouldn't be spending money into to trying to push it any further along because I just not working. And so they get attached to it emotionally because they spent all this time and they have this sunk cost fallacy of like, oh, I spent all this money and yep. time and energy into it. And in reality, it's like it's holding you back. I think there's the arbitrage equivalent of that as well. I didn't say that from personal experience because I was never attracted to that model, but this guy has he's got his own warehouse. He's got two vehicles on his overheads. And I said, okay, so he's been doing a lot of work, which probably feels virtuous and you can see stuff going into Amazon and then selling. And so it's felt valid until you dug into the profit and loss. And so it's just, it's incredibly easy to just do stuff because you did it yesterday and because it feels like you're working, right? And if you're employed yeah. by a warehouse, that would be perfectly yeah. valid. But as the business owner, you know, it's just as addictive, it seems, to go and source products all day as develop products all day, as develop brands all day. And, and you just got to just do the numbers and be brutal sometimes, right? That's what strikes mm-hmm. me. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So this kind of goes into a little bit of what was top of mind for me because, you know, it, it's boring stuff. It's like insurance and process. And the reason this popped up was I somebody reached out to me and I had a conversation with them and they were a a really big seller on Amazon in the diaper bag, like the baby like diaper bag space. And what happened was Amazon's bot algorithm, whatever, recategorized their product as a sleeping, as a child sleeping category. And they had no, none of like the safety security things. And they just got completely shut down. And, and the guy was like losing probably, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And he's even got like a, um, an account rep, you know, the one that you pay extra money for, it's like three grand a month. And they're like, yeah, we can't get any traction on this at all either. And so he's like tweeting at people at Amazon and saying, Hey, like you have six years of selling history here. Like what, why, why am I all of a sudden a baby sleeping product? I'm obviously a diaper bag, you know? (laughs) And so it was just, it just kind of struck me that you have to have a plan of action for that. And, you know, interestingly enough, there's, um, now, insurance products that sort of came up out of this and, and to solve this, really, Spot is one of them. And what they do is they sell insurance for suspension coverage. So it's super easy for them to use. And I was talking about that. I was like, well, that would help sort of offset some of your cost, you know, because you have fixed costs. You know, if you obviously lose your main source of revenue, your, your, your fixed costs aren't going away. Your overhead's not going away. How are you going to cover that? And it's like, that's the problem. So that's one 
one approach is to make sure that you are insured for the right things. And that's one area of insurance that I think people kind of miss, particularly if you're scaled up and you're pretty big. It is, it is a pretty significant risk for account suspension or, or being, have, being permanently banned, even if it's something you didn't, that wasn't your fault. I mean, obviously you can take bad actions and, you know, take gray hat things that get you banned. But in this scenario, it's something that he didn't even do. But so what's your plan of action? And do you have, you know, are you insured properly for it? And those are some pretty big gaps that I think a lot of sellers actually miss. Yeah, I, I think it's huge. I've known quite a few spe- sellers. Fortunately, they've all got reinstated, but so many people have lost their their accounts and it's a horrendous thing and it's a real risk. And I think it's it's a question of recognizing the environment you live in. If you are a racing driver, then you know you're at high risk. I say you design the vehicles with rollover bars, you wear you know, fireproof suits, you wear a helmet and you drive with an awareness of what the risk is. And, you know, things can still happen, but the, the risk of death has been much reduced in even that incredibly risk, high risk environment because of the steps people have taken. And I think that it, when things get ugly is when there's a mismatch between people's perception of risk because th- that nothing's happened for three mm-hmm. years or six years versus yeah. the reality of the risk. It's a little bit like turkeys coming up to Christmas. I'm, I've had 360 days where this guy keeps coming and feeding me stuff every day. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. Well, right. yeah, that's just history, dude. That's not how it works. Yeah. So yeah, it's a harsh awakening, but there are enough examples around, and this is another one, that anyone selling on Amazon needs to sit down right now and make a plan for this. I, I couldn't agree more with you because I've seen the fallout with some of my clients and they've recovered badly and, and be mitigated, not avoided exactly, but mitigated again. Yep. And so yeah, just, and it's worth thinking through. About the clients that we work with, who are the most safe? And the most safe are the ones that have the omni-channel approach. Mm-hmm. They yeah. sell well on Amazon. They sell well on Shopify. They sell well on Walmart. They're developing their eBay. You know that it's not the single channel. There's there is an exactly. inherent risk in scaling your Amazon to one single source of revenue. Your business is not Amazon, and so you know if your business revenue is Amazon, you're inherently in a risky spot. Yeah. So, you know, that's just the challenge of it. And some sites or, or, or businesses aren't, don't do well on Shopify. Fair enough, but you got to find a second channel. You sure. just have to. I mean, it's just too, if you get over a, I don't know, a hundred grand in sales, half million in sales, and you don't have a second channel you're developing that's strong that you could go to, if Amazon cut you down, you're, you're playing with loaded dice that are going to explode at some point. Sure. In my view, your business, your business continuity plan does not existent. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's going to wait. No, no it, it exists. It's customer store at Amazon.com. Please That's help right. me. Bring and pay my business. That's your business continuity plan. <laughs> my continuity yeah. plan is random emails to Amazon. <laughs> That's not a plan. Anyway, we're, we're talking our own book here because obviously we run Omni Rocket and that's what we do is help people with Shopify and such, but. That's the reason, and that's the reason we're passionate it's about true. it, is because I hate these horror stories. They're it, it was horrible. rough. They're horrible. Yeah, it was rough. They yeah. are indeed. Well, look, guys, I'm going to have to head. I I don't know if you guys are, are going to keep chatting away because there's some great topics here, but I'm going to go wrap and up, uh, talk to one of my my guests. So, um, we'll wrap up here. So interesting smorgasbord of thoughts. I love streaking for fun and profit. You, you know, I'll see the the rights of that to you, Chris. I, I I'll buy that book. Kyle, once again, the, the realities of Amazon suspension, Jason, your latest book launch. So I'm looking on enviously there. So I need to get my own streak going. And then, you know, don't forget to cut the profits, products that aren't making profits is my simple takeaway, which sounds like the blind and the obvious and it is, but who's doing it? That's my question. 
So yeah. thank you so much for listening to the e-commerce leader, not calling show. It's a kind of, you know, monthly chat and we're glad you joined us. If you want to get more of the stuff from the e-commerce leader, then don't forget to subscribe on the podcast player of your choice. Thanks very much for listening. Bye guys. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits.